put the kettle on. It's time for some F&T. Here's your host, Kirsten Gentle. Welcome to FTNA's F&T Time, a new podcast and video series aimed at keeping the industry connected and updated. Welcome to another F&T Time. Today, our guest is Mick Stevens, the CEO of Timber Queensland. Mick is a resourced economist and is no stranger to the forest and wood products industry. Having previously worked as Deputy CEO of the Australian Forest Products Association, as well as public sector roles in ABARES, DAF and CSIRO. Mick's research and policy focus has included plantation development and sustainable forest management, rangelands, agroforestry, renewable energy, timber standards, regional development, fisheries, the northern beef industry and climate change policy. With the federal election just over a week away, many in the industry have been lobbying to secure future plantation development and growth within the Australian forest and wood products industry, which supports 73,000 jobs. Thankfully, it has been reassuring to see some great commitments from both the major parties, but have they gone far enough? If it was just as easy as putting trees in the ground, why hasn't it happened to date? Why have we failed to grow our plantation estate and what does government need to do to ensure the trees grow providing quality timber for our construction industry? Today, Mick will explain the importance of policies required to support plantation development and outline the promises made by the major parties. Mick is also no stranger to the airways, as during his time on Norfolk Island, he hosted Friday Rock Trivia on the local radio with an intro that puts ours to shame. Welcome to the Friday Rock Show with Mick Stevens on Radio Norfolk. Time to open the rock holes. Please welcome Timber Queensland CEO, Mick Stevens. So welcome, Mick Stevens, to F&T Time. Thanks, Kirsten. Great to be here. Yeah, and so first up, how do you have your F&T, Mick? Well, I like uh, a nice tea with milk in the morning with a drop of honey, but then through the day I'll have I'll, I'll move on to my coffees. Ah, fantastic to keep you going throughout the day. Absolutely. So, Mick, we're here to talk about the important topic of Australian plantations. Australia hasn't um, grown the plantation estate for well over a decade, Mick, and the shortage of supply has demonstrated the importance of growing more plantations. But why has it been so difficult in the past to get trees into the ground? It's a really good question, Kirsten. Um, It's the million-dollar question, as you know, and fundamentally it really comes down to plantations are a long-term crop we're always dealing you know with plantations we're not going to be harvesting our final products until say 25 30 maybe 50 years for some species and so it's always been a challenge when we're looking at investing in new plantations that compared to annual crops and farming activities uh, we have to deal with you know long-term revenues out further down we're dealing with high upfront costs and so it's the opportunity cost of, of those funds that are locked up in those trees for such a long time. So Australia is not alone in dealing with the challenges around plantation investment. It, it is, has been a global issue around uh, providing the uh, adequate rate of return to deal with that long time frame. So in terms of that opportunity cost, we, we use a tool such as discounting, which is, if, for example, if you were just to put that money in the bank rather than the trees, this is what you can earn elsewhere or through your farming activity. So it can be challenging. One is that uh, given the long time frame, it can be quite risky. And then also just capturing the full range of benefits from plantations, because as we know, in this day and age, they, they're providing more than just timber. They're providing a whole range of 
climate change benefits, which we might talk about in a minute. But where it has worked has really been where governments have actually intervened and been very proactive uh, in plantation development. So again, not just Australia, but uh, in other countries, there's been an example where governments take the lead that they'll actually wear a lot of that risk and develop a plantation. And in Australia, our current plantation estate, the Softwood estate, was really developed you know, by state and federal governments through, through a loan mechanism to the states, but the states actually developed it. And there was, there was a recognition that timber is an essential material, an essential building material going forward as part of our economy. And so the governments actually wore the risk and put those first uh, you know, rotation plantations in the ground. And that's where we really got you know, the bulk of our softwood estate. Yeah, and and I mean carbon obviously plays a a big role now. So with plantation investment, carbon credits, a lot's been said about the so-called water rule. Can you explain to us, you know, to the listeners about how that relates to the emissions reductions fund and plantation investment? How do the two work hand in hand? Yes, well, they're very important uh, for future plantation investment. So the emission reductions fund, it's really part of the architecture of the whole climate change you know, emissions reduction strategy of the government. And so, you, I mean, going back, I'm showing my, my age here. I've been involved with carbon policy for a long time. And, and in Canberra, they, we initially had a cap and trade system with, with the Gillard government. And then there was a transition to move away from that more draconian system to something that was a bit more voluntary market mechanism. And so what the emissions reduction fund is essentially the government providing a bit of a regulated market. It's saying that, uh, look, we will accredit certain activities and methodologies and you can generate uh, what they call Australian carbon credits. uh, And that's for things like if you can reduce your emissions at your um, processing plants or methane reduction activities in piggeries, for example, or some forestry sequestration activities. If you can do that, um, you can bid in and we will, you know, we can um, buy those credits off you. You know, we'll, because then it helps the Australian government with their target. And so the Emissions Reduction Fund, initially the history of it is it, uh, it had a big focus on environmental plantings and uh, commercial timber plantations were not eligible initially. Uh, over time, there's been a realisation that, uh, well, that's not really good policy, given that we, we want to obviously, uh, there's, a, there's a need for um, timber supply going forward and the plantations can provide just as much benefit uh, in terms of carbon sequestration. And so the water rule was, was initially put in place because some of the initial drivers for uh, the Emissions Reduction Fund, you've you got to understand the political environment. We had a, a Labor minority government with Gillard and the Greens, and so there was a big emphasis on biodiversity plantings, environmental plantings. And there was some concern around former MIS schemes, managed investment schemes, which are we aware of, which was a tax-driven scheme. And, you know, there, there were pros and cons of the MIS, but it, it, was, it was driven essentially by some other tax you know, breaks from that investment and, uh, you know, didn't result, I guess, in getting a lot of the trees planted in the right place uh, for the right reasons. And so the water rule became part of the emissions reduction fund in terms of once there was some plantation methodologies, there was still some resistance around, you know, some of the risks around plantation forestry. And so what it meant was if you were not eligible for plantation forestry above 600 millimetres rainfall to actually get an accredited methodology and participate in that market. 
Which was ridiculous, yes. It is. Considering where the trees grow, yeah. Exactly, and that's that's part of the point. It was put in essentially as a blocker uh, to keep plantations out. Uh, so that rule's still in place. It has been relaxed for a, for a number of regions around the country, and I suppose a good analogy is we've got 11 regional forestry hubs uh, around the country where there is you know f- uh, federal money to look at developing the industry and the water rule has been lifted for six of those regions but there's still five remaining and so it's a real impediment to plantation investment because part of the challenges around getting plantation investment is the market rate of return again that long time frame you want to be able to you want to be able to compete and, and get some of that carbon revenue to start to generate a realistic rate of return for the plantation so that's really I suppose a long way <laughs> around explaining the water the water rule and how it relates to the emission reduction fund so what's your hope Mick in regards to getting them across the line for the next five um, of those um, forestry hubs that's right you know it's uh, it was restricted to the dry land areas and um, and so it's critical that we lift that rule you know for the areas where we're likely to grow trees uh, in the regional forestry hubs. Fantastic. And a huge congratulations must go to you and the team at Timber Queensland. I mean, everyone knows I love collaboration across the industry and there are a lot of you groups um, in the forest side, AFPA, um, AFCA, yourselves, that lobby hard to remove the, the water rule. As a former lobbyist myself, I know the work that goes into lobbying politicians and the bureaucrats. Can you explain to our listeners exactly what is involved in actually getting good policy through? Yeah, a very good question. And uh, it's a lot of hard work, number one, as you appreciate. And a lot of people think that lobbying and advocacy is a bit of a dark art and a bit of black magic. But to be honest, it's really all about understanding the issues, understanding the problem. And then obviously, as part of the problem, having a pathway and a solution. So number one, knowing what the problem is and where there's a likely solution but then understanding, well, what, where are the blockages, you know, in policy? And if it's a political issue or a policy issue, you know, who are the people who put it in place and why is it a problem? And so for the water rule, uh, we had to go right back to basics and, and ex- we had to understand, I explained, I guess, the evolution of why that rule was put in place. There were concerns about, you know, former MIS schemes. There was an agenda about environmental planning. So part of that is explaining the rationale, well, actually, you know, you're denying landholders and farmers the ability to compete in markets. We've got these timber supply issues. You know, where why are we holding back industry supply? It's going to be an essential material going forward. And so it's understanding where those other blockages are coming from, putting forward a really coherent and strong argument, but then building friends and an alliance around you. Obviously, a collaborative, unified approach is really important. And just understanding who are the influences within government and elsewhere that you need to speak to to have those conversations and it's like you know you might have to repeat it a thousand times and tell the story but I've always been an advocate of in the end good policy and common sense prevails you just might have to wait for it. (laughs) I've always said there's nothing common about common sense unfortunately. Um, So Mick does the government no matter who's elected on the 21st of May what do they need to do to ensure that there is investment in plantation resource to provide quality timber for our construction industry? So what more do they need to do? Well, they need to remove the water roll. Yes. Okay? They've said they're going to do it, but this is part of advocacy and lobbying. They could say they're going to do it, but then post-election we need to make sure they actually do it uh, and don't because, you know, 
in government and policy, there can be ways to strategies to delay things and put up, you know, more more white elephants. So I guess it's it's sticking to that advocacy agenda. But to be honest, you know, both sides have committed big packages uh, for the industry this this election, which is good to see. It's much needed. Um, and so obviously that you know the big R and D program, the hundred million dollar program for NIFBY. Uh, importantly, there's a lot of work around uh, improving processing capacity and innovation. A hundred million dollar grants program, and so what happens there is that can help because you're getting if you can improve efficiency and product productivity and profitability across that supply chain, and that includes frame and truss. The theory is then that uh, the industry is more efficient; that it actually can, you know, the industry supply chain might be able to pay a little bit more for locks down the track. The sawmillers might be able to pay a bit more. It's good news to the growers, and then it becomes a little bit more economic to, to improve that rate of return for new investment. So that's part of it. Uh, but we have been challenged in Australia because, you know, uh, labour costs, energy costs, regulation, it makes it tough, which is comes back to the reason as to say, well, why haven't we grown you know, grown the estate and, you know, we're dealing with, with big mills overseas and you know, large, large plants. So we're competing with that. We do know that things like the concessional loan scheme that the government had, that didn't work. You know, it's basically there was $500 million in, in concessional loans that was potentially available, but it came back to that rate of return. Capital is not limiting. It's about that rate of return to invest in those trees. And so I think what government needs to do is really focus on the carbon because it's a well-established market. Removing the water rule is, is part of that, but uh, also making it easier for investors and farmers and landowners to access that market and grow that market. So I think there's a lot more that can be done in the climate policy space. Yeah, totally agree. And FTMA um, believes through our Carbon Warrior program and the policy. So we, we put out through the Carbon Warrior to say to the government that it's, it's not just about the carbon credits, but it's about recognising the carbon that is stored in timber for life. I mean, we've got jurisdictions around the world that recognise the power of storing carbon in timber to addressing climate change. Do you believe that either side of the major parties, do you believe that either of them actually understands that timber stores carbon for life and we need to use more timber because of that reason? Absolutely. And I think your Carbon Warrior uh, program is a great initiative. Pat on the back for that, Kirsten. It comes back to, yes, it comes back to all those pathways. So getting getting better carbon policy around uh, investment in, in forestry plantations and sequestration comes back to better recognition of the timber uh, embodied energy in the building space. Uh, and, you know, the government has made an announcement with a clean energy finance corporation around that space, but getting better better rec- recognition for the, the storage of, of uh, timber in in buildings and substitution for highly emissions-intensive materials such as steel and concrete. But then there's also the waste stream. You know, we've all we've got the residues and the forestry waste that we're not utilising, that that could be put into bioenergy and looking at fossil fuel substitution. And that's an area that probably more work needs to be done. Um, you know, overseas in, in the United States, etc. Et you know, I've seen programs where federal or state governments are actually very proactive in subsidising and, and encouraging you know, the better use of that biomass, particularly for energy substitution. So there, there's a lot more that could be done. But, we, you know, we do have those multiple pathways in terms of, as you say, the carbon in the forest, the carbon in the product, substituting for steel and concrete, and then using, at the end of all of that, 
any waste for, for fossil fuel substitution. Yeah, totally agree. And Mick, the importance of your members, my members, as a lobbyist, I always knew that, yes, our voices were important and, and the advocacy role we play is is vital for the industry, but so is the voice of our members. And I think there's too many in the industry. We employ 73,000 people in the industry, that is the figure. How important is for those 73,000 people to follow up with their newly elected members of parliament after the election to push forward these and, and make sure they stand by their policies? Well, it is very important. Yes, I, as I said, it's uh it's good making those promises, but then it's the follow-up. You know, the rubber's got to hit the road. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of collaboration. It's only through collaboration uh, and a united front that we can, uh, you know, we can have a better impact. And, uh, you know, and I think uh, getting information out there, like this these podcasts, it's fantastic. It's a good way to get information out. I mean, I've, I've been on radio, and as you say, I've, I've masqueraded as a disc jockey. But uh, this is my this is actually my first podcast. Oh, well, there you go. So, I am. so I'm very pleased to be here. But it is getting it is getting that follow up. But you know, and that is that is a role for industry bodies. Uh, you know, we do advocacy. It's it's an important part of of what we all do, as well as the the training and industry development side of things. And it's probably some it's you, as you would appreciate. A lot of members probably don't recognise the work that's the amount of work that is done behind the scenes to achieve those outcomes. It's it's meetings, it's phone calls, it's letters, uh, you know, it's a whole range of things, and it's ongoing because if you're not in the conversation, you know that space will be taken by somebody else because we all know policymakers have limited time and a whole range of issues they're dealing with, and you need to invest in those relationships. Totally agree, Mick. So, Mick, we started with your intro into the Friday Rock Trivia, demonstrating your love of music. And I understand in your beautifully new renovated um, Timber Queensland office, which I look forward to visiting when I'm up there next, um, that you have a beautiful Queensland timber made acoustic guitar. We do. So is that yours? Do you play it? What's the story behind that? No, it belongs to the members. It belongs to Timber Queensland. And it it is a beautiful guitar. It's got uh, bunya pine face. May, Queensland maple sides and it's got a burdekin plum neck. So it's all made through timber species, Queensland species. And we've got it in the office because, you know, it's just trying to demonstrate the ubiquitousness and importance of timber in our lives. You know, it's important for building, it's important for boats, it's important for furniture, it's important for musical instruments. So, you know, we've got it in there because, as you as you would know, with our timber office here in Brisbane, it's it's been biophilically designed. It's full of timber and and sunshine and plants, so it provides a really good atmosphere. And having a guitar in there, actually, people start to make that connection. So that's that's the reason it's there. I do play it sometimes when there's no one around, <laughs> <laughs> and serenade as well. <laughs> but, but, well, I'm not not sure about that, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it does tell a great story, you know, and that's the thing as well. People don't realise how common, you know, and how important wood and timber is to our lives, and that's a great way to show that uh, in our office. That's fantastic. So, Mick, let's finish with um, what's your favourite band? I mean, being the Friday Rock Trivia, what was your favourite band? Yeah, good question. Uh, I'd have to say the Beatles. You know, they're one of the greatest all-time bands. I think I, you think you can't go past them, but I do have many. But I think, uh, yeah, they're one of my favourites, and 
If you look behind me oh, yes. right now, you can see. The Fab Four <laughs> on the wall, yes. Mine's another UK with Queen, my favourite. Lucky to see Freddie live. So, look, Mick, thanks very much. Congratulations to you, Timber Queensland, to AFPA, AFCA and the others that have really worked hard during this election to get some great policies. It's great going to a federal election without, without the industry being used as a political football and I think that comes down to the hard work done by um, a lot of the industry associations. So, congratulations. Thanks for joining us on FNT Time and we look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks very much, Kirsten. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another edition of FNT Time. Please make sure to follow and subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any episodes. Thanks once again to Mick Stevens from Timber Queensland and thank you for listening. See you next time.